0: We are starting a new series, as has been said. In this account of the Transfiguration, we see some pictures, and we will do some learning about Jesus and His glory. We have people reacting differently. the The disciples are reacting, and you kind of see what's going on with them. It reminded me of a, a story when I was a youth pastor in Huntington Beach. I was working with a man that uh, that I had uh, led to the Lord as a high schooler, and now he's older, and he was my junior high director. He's a mutual friend of me and Eddie Hookstra. I may have mentioned him before. His name's Mike, and Mike was a giant of a guy. He was about six five, and he loved junior high kids, and he loved music, and he, he, he was a punk rocker in the day, and he wanted to have a concert, a Christian concert, in our sanctuary where they... Played Christian punk rock music. I sound old because it sounded weird. And I said, okay, let's do that. So one Friday night, we have this concert. And it's extremely loud. And it's in our little sanctuary. And there's like 300 kids. They're all mosh-pitting and banging into each other and having a blast. And it got hot and sweaty in there. So we opened the windows, kind of let some of the fog of sweat out. And uh, it was going on. Thing was, I was in the back, just like, I cannot believe that I'm doing this. I hope I don't get fired or arrested. So, <laughs> so pretty soon, somebody taps me on the shoulder and say, "Hey, Doug, you got to go talk to this this guy. He's pretty ticked off." And I go, "Okay." So I go out there and. And I see this man, and I go, hey, what's going on? And he's, a, he's just furious. I mean, he can hardly, you know how guys are just mad, their faces red, and they're kind of spindling all over themselves, and they're like, well, this dude is mad. And uh, and I go, what's going on? He goes, I cannot sleep. I work graveyard, and I can't sleep with all that blasting music. You got the windows open, it's super loud, and, and he's just getting spun. He is just going madder and madder, and he's a big dude, and I'm like, Oh, oh my. I see him clenching his, his fists and the veins are stuck out know, on his neck. You been there? And, and somebody says, no, I haven't been there. Well, I'm there. I'm standing there. And I go, I'm gonna have to take one for Jesus. <laughs> I, I seriously thought, this dude, he is so ticked. He's gonna pop me in the head, right? And I'm so he's talking along in head, and I'm like trying to calm the guy down. And, and I'm like, okay. I've been hit before in the face, I can take it. I'm gonna be persecuted for Jesus here, that's okay. And finally, he glances up, and then he just begins to calm down. He says, well, okay, just be quiet and close the windows and you know, try, to, try to keep it down. And he turns around and walks away. I think to myself, I was ready to be persecuted for Jesus and the Lord hath defended me. I was so excited that I couldn't really, I was pretty annoying to be around after that. But when we have things of tension that happen in our lives, it kind of shows what's on the inside. Today we are gonna look at the transfiguration. We're gonna look at some reactions that the disciples had, but it's really about who Jesus is. We're gonna look at three different aspects of Jesus and his glory. But before we start, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we know that as you designed our salvation, you had this event happen not too long before Jesus went to the cross and it's very purposeful. And as we march on to Easter, We want to learn what we can and glean what we need to know from you about this account. Help us understand that, Holy Spirit, you be the teacher. Help me get out of the way. We pray this all in the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. So today we're gonna consider what does the glory of Jesus say about him, reveal about him? As I said, there's gonna be three ways we wanna look at this. Different ways that expresses the glory of Jesus out of this passage. We're gonna see his glory first. His glory as God in the first four verses. As Pastor Logan read, it said that he went up on a mountain and that he was transfigured. That word transfigured has to do with a change that happens. we seen this verse in Romans chapter 2, tw- uh, 12, verse two. It says that we will be transformed. It's the same basic word. He was transformed, transfigured to look differently. It says that his face shone like the sun. You can't look at the sun, it was so bright. It was white as light, Matthew says. All three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record this transfiguration. Mark says that his clothes were glistening and intensely white. They were dazzling, according to Luke. And that word transfigured has a different sense. It isn't that he's transformed into something else. It actually means that he was showing forth his actual God nature. It was the true nature of God shining through and that's where the light and the power came from because his glory is as God because he is God. Even if you think about metamorphosis, the transformation of a caterpillar The essence of a caterpillar isn't a caterpillar, it's a beautiful butterfly. That's its real nature. Though it spends some time as a caterpillar, its essence in nature is a true butterfly. The scene goes next to where Moses and Elijah show up. So imagine the disciples being there, seeing this event. Jesus is glowing with the glory of God. Moses and Elijah, two of the biggest figures in the Old Testament, show up to have a conversation with Jesus. They represent the law in Moses and the prophets in Elijah. And this whole event is like a giant hyperlink to the Old Testament accounts of each of their lives. There's so many similarities in the mound of transfiguration that we have to think about and go back to when God was interacting with Moses on the mountain, Mount Sinai, where there was a a cloud and power and glory that, that so much glory that his face shone when he came down. But it was God's glory. Elijah went up on the mountain, had an encounter with God as well, saw the glory of God, but it was different. but they went up probably on the same mountain. Now they're in this mount of transfiguration, where the glory of Jesus is shown, and Moses and Elijah is there, and they're speaking with Him. And then we have Peter. It says in the Luke account, Peter didn't really know what he was saying, but he goes on to say, hey, Jesus, maybe I should make some tents. That might be unusual, except if you know the practice of Jewish people in the Feast of Booths, which they think might have been around this time. The Feast of Booths, the Israelites would would dwell in tents to mark what their history was like when they were out in the wilderness, when they didn't have houses, they just had tents. And Peter, not knowing what he's saying, he's having this reaction. He's overwhelmed. He goes back to a known religious activity, something that, that feels safe to him, that feels like, oh, I don't know what to do. And being Peter, I have to do something. So he says, I'll make these boots for you. What do you do? What do you do when, when you encounter something in, in your faith? Maybe God acts in ways that are bigger. God acts in ways you don't understand. How do you react in your faith when things are beyond what you can really bear or understand? Peter went back to religious activity. So this shapes our understanding, this transfiguration showing the true nature of God in Christ by the glory. That shapes our understanding is that we need a correct view of who Jesus is. We need to understand that He is fully God, that He is glorious, that His is His nature because He is God. So it's, it's no wonder that there was a time when, when I was meditating on the glory of God, I was studying passages like Isaiah six where he fills the temple with his his power and glory and and revelation, where you see Jesus in in the throne room and the elders bowing down. You read Colossians one or or John one where you see that the preeminent Christ was involved in, in creation and created the earth and he's full of light and glory. I was meditating on those. And I actually had an encounter in my prayer time of worship, of encountering. Jesus gave me a picture of his glory. When you focus on who Jesus is truly God, you begin to get the picture, uh, a proper picture of who he is. We often suffer from having too small a view of who Jesus is. And it has an implication in our lives that we must hold the balance. Whatever view of Jesus that you have, it must include his Godhood, his nature as God and glory. He is high and lifted up. Amen? The second way we want to look at his glory that's out of this passage is his glory as son. In verse 5, a wonderful event happens that's overwhelming even further. He says, he was still speaking, Peter, was still speaking, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Those words were spoken before recorded in Matthew chapter three. At the baptism of Jesus, he says exactly those words. This is my beloved son. The father loves and has eternally loved the son as the son has eternally loved the father and the spirit. They've been in triune love relationship, but yet the father loves the son. He cannot love any being more than the son himself. He says, I am pleased with him. As if it were possible that the son is doing more to love the father by being obedient to come to earth and accomplish his will and work on earth. Then he goes on to say something that he didn't say at the baptism. He adds the phrase, listen to him. Listen, in the Old Testament Greek version called the Septuagint, there's a Greek version of the Old Testament. That word listen is in the Shema. Hear, O Israel, hear, same word. Listen, we even heard it in the video. Pastor Logan likes to say, hey, don't miss this. Listen to my son. Make sure you know what he's saying. Don't just understand it. Don't just hear it, but act upon it. Believe and do something with what he's saying. In particular, God the Father wants those men that were listening and us, by extension, to listen to him about his death. Right before, and Matthew chapter 16, Jesus now begins to tell his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and die on a cross and complete his work. In the Luke version of this passage says that Elijah and Moses talked to Jesus about his departure. When he would go down to Jerusalem and he would depart, it actually uses the Greek word for exodus. Another hyperlink to this whole situation. But notice that Elijah and Moses, they're there in support of Jesus. They are not going to accomplish what Jesus will accomplish. This shapes our understanding about the glory of Jesus as the son is that he is the suffering savior. That is his glory as the son. And the implication is that he paid it all. You know that that hymn, and I won't sing it for you because that will distract you. He paid it all. All to him I owe. We don't understand what paid it all means. We generally kind of gloss over The huge, important view that Jesus paid it all. I wanted to share scripture, spend a minute talking a little bit about this from Romans chapter three. And I want you to learn a word, a theological word, so you can go home to your family and impress them with your theological vocabulary. Actually, I don't care if you learn the word, I want you to learn the concept. Romans chapter three, starting in verse 23, some bad news. He says, for we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, good news, by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Here's the important part. Whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be revealed, received by faith this is to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the, uh, at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of those uh, of one who has faith in Jesus. The word is propitiation. Say, Propitiation. Propitiation. Not bad. Tell your neighbor, I've been propitiated. <laughs> I can't even say it. Tell the other neighbor, this is a word I'm not going to ever use again. <laughs> Propitiation is a very technical term. A lot of people don't like it because it means that you give an offering to appease the justice of God. The wrath of God has to be satisfied. Propitiation. When Jesus went to the cross, it says that that by his blood, he was given. Notice that it said the Father put forth Jesus as a propitiation, a payment for the wrath of God, that he can be just. I've heard it said to be true. I don't even remember where it was. And it was shocking to me. God forgives sinners. He does not forgive sin. He paid for the sin. He bought our salvation by completely, absolutely, without anything left, removed the the penalty of the wrath of God that was all of ours for our sin. He removed it. Wayne Grudem, theologian, says it this way, his definition of propitiation is this, a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end and in so doing changes God's wrath towards us into favor, you get that? There's no judgment left for anybody who has put their faith in Jesus. God is not angry with you. He put all of his anger on Jesus. I'm gonna say some of the words I I don't like to say because I hate them. But we have a self-esteem problem as Christians. You ask most Christians, I would say 90% of Christians, well, how are you doing with the Lord? Ah, okay, okay, buddha, come on, What's that mean? I don't know. Does it mean something good? No. Hey, I've done prayer times where I say, hey, let's ask God what he thinks of you. Oh, please don't. I don't, I, you know, me and God are okay, but uh, I don't, uh, yeah, I didn't have my quiet time today. Probably not a good day to ask about how God thinks of me. That's Bananas. Every ounce of wrath, every bit of anger towards sin has been paid for. Amen? Amen. So how should we feel about our relationship with God? Okay, one side, we might be too arrogant. You can't do that. But you know when little kids, when their daddy says, hey, son, you're awesome. What's that do? you? That kid stands a little taller, right? You're so beautiful. I love you. <laughs> that girl prances. They understand that their father loves them, and there's nothing that can take that away. Our father loves us with eternal love. And we have to stop acting like we're the redheaded stepchild. Well, somebody else is better than. It's all about Jesus. He's got a hold of you. He loves you. And when he looks at you, he thinks nothing but positive things. He looks at you, and every time, try this, I dare you. God, what do you think of me? You'll you'll hear scriptures that are a blessing. You'll say, my son, maybe you'll think of all the ways he has redeemed you. He will not say, well, sorry. He paid a very high price to express his love to you and to take away every ounce of wrath. Look at what John Stott says. It is a great comfort to know that our judge will be none other than our Savior. Amen, huh? Two people over here are excited. My wife and my daughter. Folksies this is exciting stuff and you want to see an example of what it looks like to really understand this you look at the the apostle Peter he he was there and to Jesus face practically he denied him three times I don't know the man he said but yet when Jesus came back and reinstates Peter and says, feed my lambs do my ministry I'm with you He turned and went the other way. People are noticing that that Peter changed because they had been with Jesus. The man dies on a cross, nailed upside down for the Savior he once denied. What about the apostle Paul? Killed Christians, opposed Jesus, persecuted Jesus, he said himself. Knocked off a, a horse, has an encounter with Jesus, spends the rest of his life, and dies by the sword. The the Savior that he had tried to persecute and stamp out. What about you? Do you live that way every day? Do you get up and know that every ounce of wrath is gone and that God is excited to watch you live? The third kind of glory we see is the glory as Emmanuel, verses six to eight. It goes on to describe the reaction of the disciples. It said, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. Jesus. Notice that Moses and Elijah are gone. The voice from heaven is not there any longer. It is Jesus alone. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He touches them and banishes their fear. And he says, get up, get up. Let's go, let's rise. 1 John chapter four says, perfect love casts out all fear. Jesus, as Emmanuel, through his spirit in us, should cast out all fear. This shapes our understanding because we have to confront the idea that God who's glorious and transcendent like a few minutes earlier is also God with us. He's there touching them banishing their fear walking with them as he does with us so how do we respond to the glory of jesus there's a scripture out of 1 corinthians chapter 3 verses 17 and 18 i think it helps us understand how we would respond it says this now the lord is spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is Spirit. How do we respond to his glory as God? We worship him. We worship the true view of him. Everything that Jesus is. All aspects, including his divine glory, his transcendence beyond us. It says in that, verse 18, it says that we are being transformed from glory to glory. That word is the same root word as transfigured, as transformed, we are being transformed by the very presence and worship of God. His glory, who he is as God, we worship him in that. I believe this to the degree that we, are right, we rightly see God in his glory and power will be to the degree in which we live in power and victory in your life. Let me repeat that. To the degree that we rightly see God in his glory and power will be to the degree that we live in power and victory in our lives. Let's see him truly, truly as God. The second we see him and respond to his glory as the son is that we uh, believe him. We believe him. We know that by the power of the cross, we see it truly and understand it and respond. We look to Jesus for everything. We see him as he transforms us and renews us. Do you believe God today? Do you believe Jesus? I mean, believe it that every ounce of wrath is gone. And thirdly, we respond to his glory as Emmanuel, that we would follow him, that we would follow him. It says in the scriptures of Second Corinthians three, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We are freed to follow him. There's nothing holding us back. His spirit lives in us. No matter what your personal experience is, the God of heaven, who gave his life as the son, is with you through the spirit. And we have the power to follow him, to walk in his ways. And I think we need to stop being afraid. We certainly need to stop being afraid of God. Other versions don't, don't say rise up, it says get up. Get up and get moving. Let's follow Jesus. You know, I started with the story about that angry neighbor. And I thought I was doing really well. I was ready to take a punch for Jesus. And I was kind of proud of myself. As he's turning to walk away, somebody taps me on the, on the shoulder. And I turn and I see my gigantic friend, Mike. You okay, Doug? I was. <laughs> and I, I went back over it in my head. And I thought, I'm standing for Jesus, gonna get punched to faith, persecuted for the Lord. And then I remembered, he looked over my head. <laughs> I didn't do anything in that interaction. I wasn't tough, I wasn't scary, I wasn't calming, I did nothing. My gigantic brother in the Lord did everything, right? We need to trust our big brother in the Lord. We need to make sure that he's number one in our life. And when we don't know what to do, we go to him. Let's trust our big brother, man. He's got it. He's gloriously God. He's glorious as a son and savior. He's glorious as Emmanuel. wanna wrap up with one other thought. If you've never had that encounter with Jesus, this is the time. You know, there are people, whether you're at home or here, been around church world a long time, but they come to a place, maybe today, and they have a real encounter with Jesus. They say, me? Yeah, you. Because we're all sinners far from God, that God In his son wants to take away every sin, past, present, and future. And if that's you today, step up, follow him. Scriptures are very clear. It's it's an easy, but it has to be an act of your will, an easy statement to say, I know I'm a sinner. I know I was due wrath, but I believe you, Jesus, that when you went to a cross, you went for me. And I receive you, Jesus, as Lord. And I will follow you the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus. So we, as I ask that God would would work in us today, I'm gonna pray a prayer. And if it's your heart, pray that way. And I'll close this word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as those who are beginning to believe in you, we say yes to you. We know that you are coming to us and we receive you and believe in your name. Lord, we know that the work of the cross is for us as we believe. Thank you, Jesus. I receive and will follow you by your power the rest of my life. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the glorious. of event of transfiguration Jesus we see your glory help us see all of you all of your glory and let us put our faith and trust and walk daily by your power for your glory as God Son and Emmanuel we love you